Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Welcome back into the early line here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane. This is my main man, Kevin Walsh. And, you know, we take a break from our tour days. Later on this hour, we will go back to it, spotlighting the Tampa Bay Rays. But we do have to catch you up on some NFL news and notes, what it means and how we can, you know, kind of get some value off of it. I got to ask you this. Kev, you know, I mean, we try to not get into the politics too much, but remember, the president is holding rallies in Tulsa and stuff, and it's like, hmm, um, it's not a big deal, but at the same time, you're going to have to sign a waiver to not sue the campaign if you do, in fact, get COVID. Well, the NFL is adopting this policy, it looks like, Kevin. I don't know if you saw this, but the NFL is testing out what they are calling a personal responsibility plan, where fans would be able to come to games in the fall if they sign a waiver saying they will not hold the NFL liable if they catch COVID-19. What is your reaction, sir? Oh, wow. Uh, it's a lot, I think, to take in at first, right? Because the, it, off the bat, it has a, a kind of an eerie feel to it, right? If you're if you need to make people sign, if it's a liability, off, why are we doing it in the first place? Right, like that's and that's the, if you need people to sign waivers, show up. You don't need people there, right? Right, like it's either like, risky or it's not. <laughs> right, and, and I mean, I think and I think that's the easiest way to put it forward. The reason why though, like I'm struggling with this, is because people will sign those waivers. You know that. You yeah. know people will sign those waivers. Yeah, and. You know, so you and the, the the piece that you're mentioning, I believe, was written by Kaplan, right? Um, he spoke to different, um, you know, people within law, right? And one guy was like, "Look, that waiver's not going to hold up. I'll take the case," right? And there was another guy who was like, mm, "I think it might." But even the fact that that right, and I think the 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 lawyer who said that he would take the case is currently battling, I think, against baseball, having to do with a fan being hit by a baseball in the stadium. Right. So he kind of has experience in you know, holding a league accountable for putting fans in danger, basically, right? So the idea that he would be willing to take the case is automatically something that the NFL is going to have to look into. And now this might be a very cynic thing to say, but let's be honest. People will show up looking to get COVID and to sue the NFL. The NFL? That's a thing. It will happen. People will do that. Now, and I'm not, and I'm not saying, oh, poor NFL. I'm saying it's going to be a mess. If you even try this waiver process, because I'm telling you what will happen is someone's gonna, not someone, a bunch of people will get COVID, right? But the tragedy will come when the worst happens. And then we have to just shake it off and say they knew what they were getting themselves into. Listen, when it comes to reopening leagues, right? There's already an eerie feeling. But there, there's a lot of money at stake. That's right. There is certainly something to be said about, you know, delivering sports back to try and, you right. know, give people something that they can be happy about, right? There's also the fact that it is going to can help, in my still opinion, move forward a movement and you and increase okay, the sure. that people have. Adding fans, though, to the stands is an unnecessary step. Yeah. That you don't basically here's a here's a good approach for the NFL. Big Raj, you've been crushing it this offseason. Here, once you don't need them to sign waivers is when you put fans back in the stands. Sounds like a logical progression to me. I say it all the time. Also, the curve should dictate what we are doing here. It did so in the European Union. It did so in New Zealand. But unfortunately, it is not doing so here in America. That's absolutely right. It's either risky or it's not. You know what I mean? And if you need to sign a waiver because you are afraid of the liability that this is obviously presenting, 
presenting, then I wonder why we are going through it full steam ahead. You know, Kev, about two weeks ago at this point, I think I asked you, should we proceed in this way? Like, should are we ready? You know, everybody wants it. I know there's too much money at stake to fail. I know everybody wants their entertainment and their normalcy, but like, you know, are we trying to fit a square peg in a round hole? Here's another piece of information, Kev. You know, yeah, there's a liability here. There's a risk here. We have to know that, right? Here's another way it's showing that NFL teams, yep, they know this. I saw another report out here that NFL teams, they're considering making it, in essence, like an ambulatory procedure. You know how, Kev, sometimes when you get a surgery, you have to stay overnight in the hospital, but sometimes you can go home the same day? They're trying to make football games that. Okay, team flights are going to come in on a Sunday morning, bang, play the game, and then get out of Dodge right away. All right, so that is a kind of precaution or contingency teams are already starting to think of as their policy. Fly in, play the game, fly out. So I ask you, when we talk about it being a legitimate part of your handicap when the teams are flying west to east or east to west and the body clock of it all, what about when you add this ripple effect to it. Yeah, that's not going to happen, right? Okay. There's no way they do that. That is ridiculous. And There's I a mean, lot of ridiculous stuff going on, though, Kev. True. If they do that, I'll bet against every road team. Because <laughs> there's, like, you're going to have jet lag. Like, you want to talk about a time difference, right? Yeah. Like, you're making the flight from Philly to San Fran day of? Hey! bad idea right <laughs> and the thing is once teams lose games because of it they'll pull it back here's right. pretty much where i'm at though with the nfl thing honestly yeah. week five is going to be week one that's pretty much where i'm at i don't i i think and i think well, why is october any better than september further back hopefully we fix stuff flu season Right. I mean, there is a flu vaccine. Look, I'm not telling you. I know, that the but world right. Did Fauci say, like, we got to close up shop. We got to get it all done by October. Yes. My the one thing that I've maintained is. I have no idea what the world is going to look like. Come all then. Right. right. No idea. Again, if you told me back in March that this is how things would be in July, I would be fl floored, floored. Right. That this is how things are And we'd are be going. setting a record today for the most cases in a day ever in the country? You think we'd be breaking that record now? Yeah. Oh, I, what do you know? Like, so, and that's the problem, right? But the thing is, my, and I guess the, the, the reason I'm making that point is I don't want to go as far to be like, there's not going to be an NFL season. Because, honestly, I don't gain anything from that. It upsets me to say... And I'm not like I don't even I'm not gonna want to come back and tweet the video out where I tell people there yeah, wasn't an NFL season. There's I plenty do. of people saying it, right? But trying to be realistic based on timelines, the fact that they've built it into the schedule, the fact that they've already coordinated with the Bucks stadium when the Super Bowl can be. Right. I genuinely don't think because of the way we're trending, right? We're gonna talk about it. The preseason games are gonna cut day, you know, yeah. one after another. I don't see us starting on time. That's one week. That's the next week. And I just think that they're going to keep pushing it back further and further and further. When we get to October, the idea that it is going to be more dangerous than it is now, I know is one that currently exists out there. Also, we were supposed to be, though, relatively safe now. Yeah, so summertime. I don't, the heat. I don't know what October nor September Honestly, Dane, I don't know what July 4th is going to look like. I don't know yeah. what anything's going to look like. Yeah. I, I know there'll be damn fireworks popping off in my neighborhood because they are every single night at oh, 2 a.m. But that's another on. topic for another day. Oh, I'll oh. give you my conspiracy theories on that oh, one I'm after the hey, break. I'm but that's them. another story for I'm another time. Listen, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's just a bad look. Here's another thing that the NFL has sort of, you talking about like pushing back games and stuff, right? Like it's not smart to have week one. Well, we're starting to come up with the idea. Maybe it's not smart to take on this risk for preseason games either, right? And it looks like the NFL has officially decided to condense from four preseason games to two. Okay, cool, smart move. But players saying right away, all of these preseason games would be pretty much pointless to take on this added risk. So the 
you know, we're cutting it, but the players are saying maybe there should be zero and Kansas City Houston should be the only thing out the gate. Yeah, I mean, there's so much here, Dane, right? There's the long-term reality that we'll probably never see four preseason games again, right? right? Like, I even saw... But, yeah. I saw someone actually say, um, you know, oh, there's only going to be, you know, we're losing two weeks of the preseason, but week four really doesn't count, so now we're only losing one. Like, the fact that's... But my, and my point of that is, like, this is how little the preseason matters. Right. That we're already, like, ah, yeah, week four, come on. Come on, you weren't watching week four. I wasn't watching week four. We're not watching week four, right? Like, okay, so the long-term idea is we're never going to see four preseason weeks again. I believe, right, that was almost part of the negotiation with them adding on the 17th game. Which, like, by the way, calling a team nine and eight is going to be awful. Ten and seven instead of ten and six. It just changes all the record books and stuff. Yep. Hate it. Don't like it. Not a fan. Whatever. Short-term? It's just another sign that this thing isn't going to skip the NFL. Yeah. Someone once (laughs) said to me, and I remember it clear as day, someone said to me, we are going to look back and laugh at the idea that this... No, they they said to me that they're going to look back and laugh at the idea that this disease was ever going to touch the NFL season. Someone said that to me once, and I went, whew, that is, a, that is a take. <laughs> and boy, has it aged poorly. Boy, yeah. has that aged poorly. The NFL season might get hit worse than everybody else. Dang, they might just lose a season. They might just lose a full year. And have we really even begun to broach the idea of what that means for them? Do you get a full year of service time? Do you get any percentage of your pay? What does that look like for owners? Like, So here's the deal. You're right, okay? But I frame it slightly differently. That's why the way I've been framing it to you is not will it happen, but should it happen? Because I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, Kev, I hear what you're saying, and I hear the points you're making, and I agree with a lot of the points you're making. They are going to force this through regardless, even if that's why I always tell you, Kev, the first fork in the road is should they do it? Then if they decide to, they have made the decision to just stomach whatever comes down. And that's where it is. I think the NFL is like these banks too big to fail. That's why I'm telling you, I'm not saying the question is like, will it anymore? But like, should it happen? And is it ethical? That's why I keep talking about now where the curve is that they shouldn't do this, but they're going to, Kev. But they then, if they try, have a MLB owners versus MLB players battle that will be on their hands. Yeah, absolutely, and it already is because if you compromise the preseason, that's two home attendance gates that are out the window. We'll talk about this more on the other side of the break, but if there's only two preseason games or none, does it help some people? Does it hurt? We'll talk about it when we come back. It's the early line right here on SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back into the early line right here on SportsGrid. Kevin and I are talking about this. Listen, there's only going to be two preseason games. Most believe that we know how this story ends. There's going to be zero because we continue to see, especially when the national cases are on the rise and concerning, Fauci said we may be up to 100,000 cases per day, yet we're going to still talk about fans coming in and bringing football back and having 53-man rosters. But let's get on the field, because I don't want to be a wet blanket for the entire sports world. Kev, what's the impact of no preseason games. We talked about things like your boy Nick Foles versus Mitch Trubisky. We talk about things like Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, even Joe Burrow if there is no uh, preseason at all. What do you think is the impact? Let's say there is no preseason games, but there is week one as scheduled. What are you doing? Are you fading the rookies? Is that another reason we like our Chargers DFS defense in week one? Like, how Mm. might you 
this? Are we taking unders, you know, defense ahead of offense? If they don't have these opportunities to get these uh, preseason games and real live game reps. Yeah, I think the over-under question is probably the one I'm, I'm most interested in, but I'm, I'm not sure what the correct answer is. You know, these teams not being together, what's going to take longer to match? In itself, we usually lean unders in preseason because the defenses are ahead of them. The offenses are vanilla. That is usually the trend in preseason to go under. Do we apply that? Do we think week one offenses would be vanilla? I don't know, right? Like, how much does a week one game look that like a preseason game? That offense in New England that's going to be brand new, they may be behind the eight ball. To rod with the Chargers, it's new, maybe or, behind the ball. Go ahead, give me Devil's Advocate. Or, the Devil's Advocate is we have no idea what they're about to throw at us. We've got nothing on film. Uh-huh. Right, and, like Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury didn't show Jack in the preseason for that reason last year. Almost in a weird way where teams that are new – maybe could be the advantage. And that's the thing. It goes both ways. Oh, I want a team that has chemistry. I want a team that's offering me something new that nobody's seen, right? And then it's it's this situation where, oh, well, I don't know what to value, right? And, and that's, I think, one of the things that's made all of this so tricky for us to try and break down, Dane, and for everybody that's trying to do what we're trying to do. Pretty consistently in sports, the most difficult thing to handicap is injury. You can't predict it. You don't know how long it's going to be. You don't know who it's going to affect. Yes. And now it's the idea is, right? It's a it's just league wide. We it just everything is We said it. Like every league. player on every roster on every team yeah. in essence is questionable. Right. So like every parentheses now, risk of <laughs> Right. Like everything now is just completely thrown off of its usual footing and it makes it so difficult for us where we might be able to try and find something concrete would be the quarterback battles. Okay. Chicago. So talk to, talk to mean, me. I know Chicago is what There's not going to be a preseason battle. Let's talk more about Miami and the Chargers where, and Cincinnati, where Burrow, Herbert, and Tua are battling, right? But they will not have as much opportunity. Does that change what you think about when either of those three get the keys to the car, do you still think Burrow is the week one starter no matter what? Do you still think it's ultimately to rod until the Chargers are out of contention? And do you ultimately think it still fits magic until whenever Tua has learned enough to get off the clipboard? I, I have to be honest with you. Those are the th- those three, it matters. The Trubisky thing, though, is where my head is at, Dane. All right. That number is now minus 185. People just kept on hitting it. If there's no preseason, right, to go off of, maybe you just give it to the guy that was there last year. Incumbent. I mean, that's what, because you know you. We spent a lot of time, you and I, trying to figure out what this means, right? Trying to figure out what to what to make of why people are betting Trubisky, and maybe the idea is there's not going to be enough window in the preseason for Foles to beat him out. And maybe there won't be any preseason for Foles to beat him out. And that's why now Trubisky is a minus 185 favorite. Like, do you, do you subscribe to that theory? Is that what you think this might have been? Oh, the theory of why the line has moved? Yeah. Yes, but then the easy counter to that is the reason they brought in Nick Foles with John Filippo there is to, you know, condense that need. Right. To mitigate that exact fact. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's the quarterback who knows the system had success under that regime. That's that's why they targeted that guy for the familiarity. So, uh, yes, I think it makes sense. But I don't know if that's what they're actually doing. Let's apply the same logic to the Patriots situation. Everyone, they love Jared Stidham. They love Jared Stidham. And he was there. Cam is new. Cam, you know, working out with Julian Edelman on Instagram, whatever, and Tom Brady being like, I'll still always be number one. But this may be a new offense to implement, new teammates. So if you're telling me, and I don't think it's silly, I think it's valid for you to say that on some level there's an incumbent advantage, right, because of this. And I I believe the same is true with Terod with the Chargers, with Fitzpatrick in Miami. I believe the incumbent advantage is a valid way to handicap this because of no preseason, the joint practices, and the like. 
So apply that to New England and Jared Stidham versus Cam Newton. Yeah, I guess the the counter to it, right, is that the talent gap. See, I think there's a, a, a gap between Foles and Trubisky, but people would argue. People would argue me the other way. Nobody's going to argue that Stidham is better than Cam. Okay. And like Stidham well, wasn't the starter last year. Hold. Is he incumbent though? He was just supposed he to take over he for Brady. That's he, and that's the biggest thing. He's well ahead on knowing the offense, no? I think it's about a change, though, isn't it? For Cam? Yes. To be more zone read, he wants the more dual threat stuff. Everybody, that's right. Everybody wants that element of their offense. Just a bunch of different looks, I feel, though, as if now the, the playbook is going to find is going to be changed to fit right, but, Cam. But, Kevin, doesn't all that take time, the exact time that they don't have? It takes time, but if that's your strategy going into the season... Figure it out, baby, because we got because right. the clock is ticking, right? Yeah, that's I mean, the thing. The clock is ticking. Hey, <laughs> sign them in March, right? But then again, <laughs> have crossed that horizon already. But it is interesting, right? And here's the thing: we immediately think about quarterbacks, right? But what about you know? There's a lot of other positions, you know, Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, right? Knowing the route tree, we're all high on these rookies, you know. We I'll acknowledge. So let me ask you this. You've said that that Rookie of the Year award is a quarterback award. And we all know running backs hit the ground running a little bit easier, right? Without this time. Would you change your thought on that? Is it more, do you think it may be more likely now that a running back can perform early out the gate and change those production numbers to the point where it's viable, more viable for a running back to win the Rookie of the Year award? Not at all. Okay. Because, none of, because none of them are starters. All of the issues that apply to Foles apply to Edward Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor and, and DeAndre Swift. The running back position is easier to it pick is. up. It is. But my, my, my thing with Burrow has always just been he's Sorry. got the workload, right? Okay. Like the questions that we have to ask about Tua and Herbert and do they even have a chance because Tyrod and Fitz are there. Burrow, who is even – I don't even know. <laughs> like Burrow's the guy. I will say I this. Since we're on the subject, though, as I go over the Offensive Rookie of the Year award at the FanDuel Sportsbook, there's been movement. Two is no longer option two. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has come up, and it's pretty significant to five to one. Because I think two at one point was plus 850, or maybe he was this plus 750 Woo! number. It wasn't a situation of two came back. People are starting to hit this Edwards-Hilaire bet more and more and more. And I know for me at least, but I think you as well, this is going to be one of the most difficult guys for us to try and pin down and figure out, I think, preseason. I agree with that. And I told you, I loved him coming in. Mm. But I just think, and this is evidence, more evidence of my point. The the buzz on him is just going out of control to a point where I'm out now. You know, relative, the value has dissipated. I thought I was going to have value because I was on him. But he lands with Kansas City. He's getting hyped up, right? The value is dissipating every single day. And even this movement in the Rookie of the Year would uh, suggest that as well. I want to ask you one other story I saw in the NFL. You'll notice, Kev, when you know we do our team-by-team -team previews, when we talk about the team that Dwayne Haskins looks like it was going to be the starter of, I always refer to them by their city, not by their team name. This has been out there for a long time. Um, and, you know, change is coming, right? Shout out, by the way. The state of Mississippi voted to take the damn Confederate emblem off their flag. Like, Kylan Hill. Bro, yeah. it happened. Incredible. I, I, it's absolutely incredible. Okay? It truly is. And so, Kev, like... Maybe there's others out there. Let's strike when the iron is hot. <laughs> you know, like, now's the time to actually do stuff. And it looks like um, the almighty dollar could help in this with the Washington football team, Kev, because it looks like a lot of advertisers are now putting pressure on place, you know, um, and sponsors of the Washington football team, leveraging their kind of financial commercial power and saying, we'll pull our sponsorships, we'll pull our ads, um, unless you consider to change the team name of the Washington football team. What do you think? I mean, I would have never thought this would happen, but I would have never thought the state of Mississippi would take the Confederate emblems off their off their flag either. I had one of the dumbest arguments of my life with someone over this team name. It is the most, but it was it was. You ever have you ever been in an argument with someone where you're like, you know what, 
I'm going to help you figure this out because it's bothering me that you don't get it. Right. right? And the person kept saying, well, listen, I, some people find it offensive, but I don't find it offensive. Hey, it's not talking about you. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you feel. Right. Right. And it was just a circle. A, and I'm like, and eventually the person got it. Right. But, and I, but others might find it offensive and they are valid to do so. So how about you stop projecting or judging other people's right? The thing is, right, a team name should never be offensive. And it's a really easy fix yeah. because out of the thousands of team names, very few would fit that description. So just fix it. And last night, Dan, I couldn't help but do a little bit of extra research on the subject. Ooh. March 29th, 1972, Ooh. a delegation of Native American leaders met with the Redskins president, Edward Bennett Williams, and urged him to change the team's name. Now, they eventually then changed the team fight lyrics that mm -hmm. were also, you know, at the time insensitive. The reason I bring that up, though, is that is a long sure is. time ago, right? Like I, we know we've gone through this. I'm not a mathematician, but that's closing in on 50 yep. years. Okay, there is no reason to still be battling this hard. They love releasing new jerseys, new merch. People will buy it up in loads. Mm -hmm. Change it. Just change it. I think they even at one point like took out like I think Dan Snyder even like took out trademarks on other potential team names like there's stuff out there like the Washington Warriors or the Washington whatever it's out there and so hey but I always say change it is a coming and the revolution will be televised we go back to our two a days we talk Tampa oh they're in a spiking state hmm. when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're watching SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line. Kevin and I go back to our two-a-days, the crack of the bat, take me out to the ball game, Cracker Jacks, and the like. We talked about the Toronto Blue Jays earlier. We think maybe they got a chance to finish third in the division, maybe even overtaking the Boston Red Sox. We saw them the same way. We now talk about the team that many people project to finish second in that division and quite frankly be a very competitive team for one of those AL wildcard spots. I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. Kev, before we get into it, I have a couple of big picture questions for you. Remember with the Blue Jays, I was saying, how much does it complicate things that there's a second country involved here? Mm -hmm. For Tampa, I'm going to ask you uh, two similar questions. One, Florida is a spiking state, Kev, okay? And we're seeing this when it comes to Orlando, MLS, and the kind of risk and how people are starting now to be like, oh boy, I don't know. The curve is not changing in Florida. We have now a Florida team that teams are going to, what, travel into and out of? I would like to ask you what kind of level of additional risky context does that have on this team and specifically this team has starting pitcher Blake Snell who was very outspoken and who we have been referencing back and forth with his owners and players in the same way that we talk about when the Utah Jazz get back on the court how will Rudy Gobert be viewed like Blake mm. Snell is kind of that player maybe along with a Max Scherzer or something in Major League Baseball mm. What do you think of those additional contexts? Tampa's spiking and Snell is outspoken here. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, again, I'm personal. I'll go with Blake Snell. Um, okay. I, I have no okay. issues with him, and I, I don't expect much of any problems no problem. within his teammates. The situation, though, in Florida is one that's really difficult to try to figure out, um, as it's been consistently, right? Okay. So will they be able to have home games, okay? That's a major threshold that we have to cross. Then the question is, are they more at risk as an organization to be hit by COVID than other teams? I don't know. But the thing is, all I of these yes, other no. teams, I guess they'd have to be. But all of these other teams are consuming risk when they travel to Florida 
right? I mean, you'd have to think that these guys are going to be pretty smart about it, right, while they're there. I, I think the big danger, right, has to be continually having to go to the airport, right? Yeah. And it's just, how can you really ask these major leaguers to just ride buses everywhere? I'm not sure. Maybe you can. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, but still then, right, I guess in their day-to-day lives, right, you have to go to the supermarket, right? You're coming home, whatever it might be. Like, you're definitely running a greater risk doing things like that in a state that is spiking. So, but it's really difficult, I think, to add it into the analysis. So here's the way I'm talking about it. I guess this is the reason the way I talk about it. Yeah. And I go back to... MLB has the right to relocate franchises. Sure. sure. Okay. I'm going to assume that that's not going to be good for a team to be uprooted. I believe Tampa is at a far bigger risk of MLB pulling the trigger on that than the Mets, for example. That potential has to be involved, no? This, I mean, this is why I think they should have used New York. LA and Chicago as three hub cities. And I use those exact places because you've got two baseball teams in each spot. You have then the ability to keep teams there. I mean, yeah, the idea that Tampa Bay Rays being relocated to New York and playing home games at City Field, personally, not the most surprising. It's not the most ludicrous idea. And then maybe the Miami Marlins playing their home games at Yankee Stadium. I, I think that that is, again, a plausible idea I, do, I don't see why not right i mean it's probably your safest option the idea that you're going to relocate them to anywhere other than a place where there are other teams in the mix right are you going to find a brand new baseball stadium that maybe feels like a bridge too far so you know i i just think we're looking at a situation of the relocation i guess is possible and again i think this is why we've not gotten ourselves a schedule probably yet because they don't know necessarily because if if right the rays yeah. have to use city field for home games okay well now they're obviously like but are we going to have are we going to have the rays match double header days or basically they can't yeah. be home on the same day yeah i don't know and i think i i just want to put out there that if re, if if mlb has that right to pull the trigger on relo- relo- relocation then you know teams in florida are maybe more at risk of that than teams in other places. Yeah, I'll add this quickly that relocating doesn't worry me on a game-to-game basis, more so guys then saying, I'm not coming. Okay. For an outlook on a team. Yeah, Because of the lack of fans and home field advantage isn't what it usually is. All right, that that is fair to me. Let's look at some of these guys because, listen, the Rays are a different team than last year. I would say, listen, Tommy Pham was one of their biggest offensive players last year. He's no longer there. He's in San Diego. They have brought in, you know, Jose Martinez. They have brought in Hunter Renfro, and these are power bats. Okay, if you think about it, I got to believe that those are probably guys that are projected to hit more home runs than most. Hunter Renfro here on Steamer, at least, is projected to get to 10 home runs, which is a lot in 60. You know, you talk about Jose Martinez is there as well. Talk to me about some of these new faces in new places. What are you expecting uh, from, say, this offense? Yeah, there's a lot of new pieces in this offense. It's almost an entirely new lineup. Uh, You know, you mentioned Hunter Renfro. They also got um, Yoshi Sutsko, potentially. Uh, I'm not going uh, I might be messing up that name, but Yoshi's coming over from Japan, putting over right. a, a decade working there, being one of the best power hitters Japan has to offer, right? And that's the biggest question for this Rays baseball team is can their offense match what we're going to be expecting from the pitching? Yep. You know, Austin Meadows last year looked like he can be maybe, uh, you know, a perennial all-star for this baseball team. Uh, you know, Brandon Lowe has great positional power. And right. that was one of the things that it does seem like, you know, they – Maybe try to load up on the long ball. I think right? so. I they think that's true. Their, is like that as well. They trust their situational, um, I guess, management, right, from Kevin Cash to – they can drive runs in, in a spot. Maybe they feel like the difference maker is the power, and that's why Yoshi, Hunter Renfro, right, Brandon Lowe, these are the yeah. guys that they've come and they've added to this roster. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Let's look at some of the futures numbers for the Tampa Bay Rays. They have a win total of 33 and a half. That's pretty high if you think about the percentages of it all, right? That's a big, that's above uh, 500. It's almost up to about 600 if you think about it, because every six games would be another 10%. So 36 wins would be 60%. So they're almost, they're above a 550 winning percentage that they think they're also three to one to win the AL East. So if you think, and there's plus 750 to win the AL, by the way, that is, I believe, the fourth choice in the AL, or tied for the third choice, in fact. Obviously, the Yanks, obviously, the Astros. Then there's the Twins and the Rays are both at plus 750 to win the American League, Kev. So this is a team with the third best odds to win the American League. I ask you, in a variance-laden season where we talk about like a team like the Yankees, if they don't fire on all cylinders, What's up with taking the Rays at 3-1 to one to win the division, Kev? Yeah, so the Rays' price to win the American League East is one of the best values on the board. A team that good at 3-1 to one to win their division, right? Okay. And you're getting this from a pair of Yankees fans, okay? By the way, the unbiased journalist tour continues, and we're rolling hotter than ever. But realistically, like, that's one of the best values that's on the board. You look at that over 33 and a half right now that the FanDuel Sportsbook has. At a lot of places, I believe they were shown 34 and a half. And, I'm, and a part of that is coming from the fact that it's a minus 125. Ah, so it's on the precipice. So, yes, exactly. And that's and that's one of the things that you'll see at FanDuel, right? When that number's sitting at 125, it means that it's kind of recently it's about to go, moved right? or it's going to potentially go the other way. Last year, they were 37 and 23 through 60 games. The 96 games that they won put them up for 35.6 wins, uh, again, prorated to a 60 games. Um, a couple different different projections put this team anywhere from 34 to 35 wins, which, yes, would get the job done. The question, though, that you asked, Dan, I think is the overarching question that you have to apply with the Tampa Bay Rays. And it applies throughout Why all Why not them in this variance here? I think it's, it, I don't even think it's, it's them versus the Yankees. So last year, in the 19 games they played the Yanks, they went 7-12 and 12 with a run differential of minus 40. Yeah. Minus 40 yeah. in those 19 games versus the Yankees. It's over, obviously, a larger sample size. They're still supposed to play the Yanks 10 times, though, which is still certainly a lot. Okay. The question is, in a 60-game season, do you think that you want the depth that the Rays are offering or the top-end talent? that the Yankees are offering. Now, the Yankees are, the Yankees are. I mean, everyone knows it, right? They are excellent, man. And they also can offer you depth as proven by what they put forth last year, right? Sure. But it's that star power that the Yankees have, right? Do you, do you come and do you lean on that? Or the way the Rays, honestly, like we talk about the Golden State Warriors as a team that's helped reinvent basketball. The Rays are a team, very quietly, have helped somewhat reinvent baseball. I'm going to give that credit to Joe Madden, not the Rays, but okay. I mean, I, I think that they were then maybe at least a team. That, so you could maybe then say give the credit to the 2013 Spurs, but then Steve Kerr. Right, Curry right, right, right. Yes. And Kevin Cash and the Rays <laughs> yes. took yeah. this to another level sure. with the open. And how valuable is that strategy when we now come into, again, this variance-laden season? I think the interesting thing about the Rays we know that the Yankees have battled these injuries, and based on the way you know things were going for them preseason, apparently it's not going away. Apparently injury luck won't be on their side. At least that's just how it seems. The Rays might be the team in baseball built the best to battle injuries, and in a 60-game season where you might feel like one injury can be catastrophic to the Rays, I'm not sure any injuries other than, say, Austin Meadows, who feels like their one elite bat, is one that makes me go, Oh, man, I can't believe I played this team over 33 and a half. I hear that. I hear that. And listen, they always wind up at 90, right? And it's always like, how did they get there? <laughs> you know, and, and so I get that. Before, when we talk about the Rays or Madden, you know, I was broadening it out to more than just the opener. Like, under Madden is when the Tampa Bay Rays oh, yeah, were the first team to do things like an extreme infield shift, right? Yeah. A shift. And that was more of a Madden thing because then he brought that to Chicago. I bet he's bringing it to the Angels as well. And the opener was another thing that under Madden kind of was uh, big. But you're right. 
The opener is interesting, and I believe this pitching staff is interesting. You just last hour, Kev, we're talking about a big three in baseball, and I told you that that's what I look for here to handicap things. Well, the big three for Tampa can stack up against anyone in Major League Baseball. We'll focus in on them when we come back. It's the early line right here on Sports Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line as we tie a nice, neat little bow on this episode so that you can slide on into the weekend. Want to let you guys know, also, we are going live next week. So uh, bear with us because we're going to give you everything you need bright and early in the morning. Kevin will have an extra cup of coffee on hand. Just sure, well. We're very excited about that. You mentioned kind of the Rays as trailblazers, right? I mentioned the infield shift, things under Madden. One of the things that became in vogue is uh, the opener, Kev. And we've yeah. heard that because of this condensed season, a lot of teams may try that, right? A lot of teams may have their starters only go three or chunk up the activity a little bit differently. Um, you know what's funny, Kev? Usually, I think the opener are for teams that like don't have great starting pitching, a big three, if you were. Meanwhile, guys like Ryan Yarborough were you know, the opener a lot. But there's some good starters on the Rays. Do you think the Rays are going to – how do you think it's going to look? Because I, so I can also see a universe where when it's Morton Snell and Glasnow, get out there and make it pop. The other two yeah. of the five days of the, of the you know, kind of rotation is cobbled together by like four players. <laughs> how do you think it's going to play out? I mean, the thing is, so, you know, as I'm kind of doing my research, getting ready for our conversation here on this Rays team, you know, I'm putting it together. And I'm like, all right, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now. Wow, what a top group. Yep. I'm like, all right, man, they've also got themselves the ability to use openers. All right, that's good for them. Right. And then I got to the fact that they led baseball in bullpen ERA last year. I closed, <laughs> I closed my thoughts on their pitching staff with, honestly, a very frustrated as a Yankees fan, all caps, WTF exclamation point. Like, dude, what in the world? This, I think it's fair to say that the Rays might just have the best top-to-bottom group of pitchers, right, that baseball is going to offer. When you try and incorporate every different facet that they're going to be able to throw. Wait, what about their highest bullpen ERA? No, no, no. The lowest, I meant to say. Oh, the lowest. That's the best. Highest. Oh, okay. I probably, said, I probably said highest. That's just, yeah. They had the best ERA in, 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 in okay. baseball. Yeah. Football. Then I let's use them. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like they just they are excellent. They can do everything when it comes to pitching. And that's why this offense last year was middle of the pack, tied for 15th with a couple of other teams uh, in baseball. So they can certainly they can certainly be done by their offense in a little bit, right, where they're not going to be able to compete with the likes of the Yankees and the Red Sox in this division, maybe even the, the Blue Jays. You right. might argue that they've got the fourth-best offense in baseball. They right. certainly, Though we've talked about it, they've made some progressions in that end. But their pitching is so good. It is so versatile. And that's why I think this is a team that when you want to talk about in the I-don't-know-what's-going-to-happen-tomorrow world we're living in, right. This is probably the most adaptable team in baseball. Mm. So that's why I think th this this Rays team is one that I would be buying. Again, had we gotten the expanded playoffs, yes, no playoff bets, they'd have been minus money. I'd have been looking to lay the minus money on them. I like the over 33 and a half, and a lot of it has to do with these pitchers. Charlie Morton was a Cy Young candidate last year. I think Blake Snell's going to go out there and be really good. And Tyler Glasnow is also someone – who was a top prospect in baseball. Yeah. Pittsburgh was up and down. He gets to Tampa Bay and finds his footing. Here's the thing also. When you talk about um, this race pitching, it's power arms. It's strikeout pitching. Yes. Kev, you know, Charlie Morton, 10.3 strikeouts per nine. Blake Snell, 11.3 strikeouts per nine. Glasnow, 11.2 strikeouts per nine. Even guys like Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo, Jose Alvaro, you know, like their, their bullpen, power arms, you know. And so I think, especially in this 
what uh what did a uh, guy yesterday call it the covid corral the covid championship yeah, yeah. i i agree with you i think the rays led by their pitching is going to be there and 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 you don't think of them like you never think of them because these are like who the hell cares about yoni chirinos right or ryan yarborough these are not you know blue chip names and then it seems like they're going to cobble it together. They understand that launch angle and power and the three true outcomes are the way to go out of offense. And it sounds like, as you mentioned, right, they are shoving all in on that approach, whether it's Yoshi they bring on over from Japan, whether it's guys like Hunter Renfro and Jose Martinez that they bring in, whether it's a guy like Austin Meadows, it seems like they're going to subscribe to the three true outcomes theory on offense and build up their power pitching. And that seems like a good ticket to me. Like, I like their plan. Kev, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, you talk about the big three, and that's been our narrative here, right? And I believe Tampa has a big three in Morton, Snell, and Glasno. Yeah. Their ADPs are all within six, Kev. Mm. Morton at 51, Snell at 55, Glasno at 57. Okay, so it's a crapshoot, in essence. Okay. How would you rank them? Yeah, so, you know, for me, as I, as I look through them, I, I think Charlie Morton has found himself probably the model of consistency and health-wise yeah. has probably gotten himself to the top uh, of this barrel. I okay. think, though, there's an argument to be made that you can be really excited about all of them. Like, I think Blake Snell, right, who I'm basically now cheering for Blake Snell because I'm annoyed <laughs> at how a lot of people reacted, right? Re Yankees are not. Like, I'm yeah. cheering for Blake Snell, right? He was someone who benefited because we, we, you know, we kind of set the deck with this baseball conversation about guys that are healthy that wouldn't have been at the start of the season. Blake Snell's one of those guys, right? Right. And this works so perfect for him now because now not only is he healthy, right, and he's going to be a full go, but there's no worry about any type of innings limit. It's obviously not going to be yeah, pushed far yeah. enough, so they're going to be able to get a full effort, everything that they need from Blake Snell. So I think, and I think that both of those guys, like they have top 10 pitcher in baseball probably stuff. I, so I, I think, you know, and, and again, Glass, no, no, no slouch in his own right, right? right, right. Top 20-ish potential as well. So I guess Morton, just from a health perspective, would edge it out. But I, I do think that we're going to see a, a pretty a pretty darn good Blake Snell here as well. All right, so let me, I want to push you. I want to try, like, we've done this with Diamonds and Fugazis before, um, you know, and, and seeing, like, the names above them, right, mm -hmm. and kind of how far we would go. So that's what I want to do on some of these starting pitchers because, you know, I told you, they are all pretty close to each other. Um, in terms of just the starters, uh, yeah. Snell is uh, SP12. Okay. Morton is SP13. Okay. And Glasnow is SP19. Okay. Wow. That's the way they have him. So right there. But they are right in, like, going right in the same level as some of these other young studs I'm talking about with the innings limits, right? I tell you, Snell is 12, Morton is 13. Mm -hmm. Castillo is 11. Paddock is 15. Uh, Clevenger is 10. Patrick Corbin on Washington is 14. Are you taking any of the Rays above those guys that are in that tier that I just identified? You know, I think pitching has always been something that I've – struggled with to find myself having an exact strategy in fantasy baseball. Okay. Um, when I first started playing for a long time, I was very much so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pitchers in baseball. That's <laughs> just how I was playing it. Right. <laughs> and I'm not sure though, like Dane, honestly, I'm not sure I've ever been in a league to the point where I know that I've found a concrete strategy, right? Like where I, cause the thing about baseball is like, I, I'm sure everybody plays in home leagues, right? Now, not everybody plays in these industry leagues. Right, right. And the thing with fantasy baseball home leagues is because the seasons are such a grind. Usually at least about two people stop checking, right? Yeah, people and drop sometimes out. sometimes more. Yeah. And what ends up making the difference in a fantasy baseball season is just the waiver wire, right? A daily waiver wire yeah, check. Right? I mean, I, re I remember there was one season many moons ago I was working um, over at SiriusXM. Scotty Angle's doing the show. Right. I'm, you know, I'm next to Frank Stanfield every morning and it's like 530 in the morning. Right. And they're like, Carlos Correa is about to get called up. Mm. Right. And I'm like, awesome. Boom. Correa is on the team. Right. And a couple of days later, I was with some uh, some people who are in the league and they were like, 
how, what, how did you know? And I'm like, yeah, listen, I work here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. And they were like, who let this guy in the league? Like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, so insider trading. My, and and I'm, I'm saying all of, all of this to say, to be honest with you, Dane, like the way I can tell you, like, wait on quarterback, QB1, like, I don't find myself having that same grasp on a starting pitcher strategy. And I'd I love see. to know kind of how someone like yourself likes to play it. Um, it's not like wait on quarterback. Right. Okay. Um, I need to get, I try to get two aces. Mm-hmm. I, I try to get two aces and then I'll play the game you're talking about. Okay. Then I want to get, I need to get something in the top tier. I want to get my SP one and my SP two personally. Mm-hmm. Then I'll wait because then I believe when we go all the way down, you know, at the level of whatever SP 40, when we're down there, I'll rely that I'll be able to find value at okay. that point. But I can't do it the whole way. Right. I can't punt at the top. I need to get those anchors and then I'll trust myself to be able to find value a little bit later on. So I am drafting a starting pitcher. I was a little bit more like you, what you're describing at this uh, years ago. I used to be able to kind of rely. I I used to think that I could rely on myself and find the value for pitching, starting pitching overall. But Mm -hmm. I have moderated that to realize I need to get my foundational pieces first, and then I can do that and find what I think are the good values or my guys a little bit lower. And I do will be able to do that. But I have since realized you need studs and anchors at the top of your rotation. That's the way I'm going to go about it. I also think you're right in this COVID season. um, The idea of getting that stolen base guy is definitely possible. But let me ask you the inverse. Mm. Tampa Bay is a opener kind of team. Mm-hmm. Even with Glasnow and Snell and Morton, what is the chance? We have heard reports of other teams who are not opener kinds of teams saying that maybe yeah. they're going to make their guy go like four, four innings this year. Okay, just to protect against injury and that sort of stuff. So what happens when even the big three of Tampa are going four innings and then they only have three wins to show for it? So this was the funny thing. As I was going through this team, I went, went, oh, wow, they're a fantasy herd in fantasy baseball. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to get with this team, right? Like, I was reading up on – I'm reading up right on Brandon Lowe, right? And you're like, okay, this is, you know, good positional power, but they also just might platoon it, right, playing matchups. He might not see enough. Uh, Willie Adams, right, is a guy that Adamus, people are excited yeah. about, right? Adamus, excuse me, right, that people are excited about. But last year he was batting ninth a ton. If he bats first or second, okay. But I right. don't know what Tampa Bay is going to do. Right. So I don't know what's going to happen there. And that's the ba- and the and the pitching point is another great one. Like, is Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, especially with the injuries that they battled last year, going to be given enough of a leash to, to get for what win. you're drafting <laughs> with them as? top you know 20 pitchers it's a great question yeah so we will see but we think tampa listen they always wind up with more wins than you think and they're second in the division three to one the tied for the third choice in the al and we think they have a big three to be messed with that'll about do it for us today the morning after is up next we'll catch you on the weekend edition coming up before kevin i'm dane have a great day everybody SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.